We thank you that we came. You came into the world. We thank you that we uh, get to celebrate that this Christmas season. Um, We thank you that you um, are a good God and that we need fear you only in reverence and awe in the gospel. I thank you for these people, and Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your your sight. Amen. So, to begin with, I want to take a brief look back, not very far, just a few days to an American holiday, an American holy day. Thanksgiving. Sorry. Thanksgiving is a holy day that we made up. In America, we made it up. The pilgrims, the early Christians that came to the country uh, seeking refuge from uh, political and social and religious persecution came. And after their first winter here, it was so hard. The next year they learned how to grow crops and they looked unto God and gave thanks for all that he had done for them. Now, this holiday was not an official government-observed holiday until 1777, and this was uh, written by, by the government uh, by a man named Samuel Adams. I'm only going to read a part of it, and it is not on screen, um, but we could just turn that off. It's not going to work. It's not a big deal. No worries. Um, this is in another language, and so I want you to listen carefully. This is what Samuel Adams said as they made Thanksgiving an official government holiday. For as much as it is the indispensable duty of all men to adore the superintending providence of Almighty God, to acknowledge with gratitude their obligation to Him for benefits received, together with penitent confession of their sins, whereby they had forfeited every favor, and their humble and earnest supplications that it may please God through the merits of Jesus Christ mercifully to forgive and blot them out of remembrance." It is therefore recommended to set apart Thursday, the 18th day of November, for solemn thanksgiving and praise, that with one heart and one voice the good people may express the grateful feeling of their hearts and consecrate themselves to the service of their divine benefactor, acknowledging with gratitude their obligations to him for benefits received. To prosper the means of religion for the promotion and enlargement of that kingdom which consists, consisteth in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Samuel Adams, a government official, wrote that. Our government published that in 1777. Amazing, huh? Humbling. Um, Thanksgiving, I will make the claim today, is a holy holiday. I would say that Thanksgiving is a biblical holiday. Now, we're going to get into the text, and the first part says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. First point, I give thanks. Paul is writing this to the Corinthians, a church that he helped plant, uh, a church that had some magnificent sin, um, like all churches do, um, but a church that he helped plant. And so he's looking back to them and he's saying, I give thanks to you. But before that, he says, I give thanks to my God for you. This phrase here is the key phrase when we think about being Christians. This is the difference between a non-Christian and a Christian. Those who fear God give thanks to God. Those who do not fear God simply give thanks. Now, when we're out and evangelizing into the streets, um, this topic sometimes comes up of who do you give thanks to or what are you thankful for? Uh, One immediate follow-up question is why? Uh, we'll, we'll ask, well, who do you give thanks to? And they'll say, well, the universe. This is literally conversations. <laughs> who do you give thanks to? Well, the universe for everything. The universe provides all things. 
Um, this, is, this is very similar to thanking Raiders fans for the Broncos' terrible season. It makes no sense. They had no hand in it, no part in it. it, it it's literally absurdity, illogical. If you give thanks to the universe, you are giving thanks to what? To yourself. Thanks to the universe, or thanks that we give always goes towards someone. Thanks, the very definition, when we look at that in this word, it means eucharisto. Which, this means to show oneself grateful, giving thanks. Readiness to show appreciation for, expressing gratitude and relief. That's what the word thanks here means in this text. It means expressing gratitude and relief. Often when you give thanks, you feel peace. Um, The relief of giving thanks to someone for something. Now, we all feel this gratitude, Christian or non-Christian, but the difference is giving thanks to someone responsible for doing what we're giving thanks for. The Bible has some things to say about it. Now, this sermon is going to be scripture heavy, so feel free to jump through, um, or we'll post the notes online. You can review all the scripture. But I'm going to go through and just try and, and show you a picture of what the Bible says giving thanks is, thanksgiving is. In Chronicles, it says, I give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Colossians, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one, in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God the Father through him. Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We're thankful as we ask before we even receive a yes, no, or a wait from the Lord. Psalms, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Isaiah, and you, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known the deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Hebrews. Therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Psalms. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Last one. Revelation 4. In Revelation, we see magnificent angels, magnificent uh, cherubim worshiping God, encircling the throne where God sits, and worshiping Him in by doing what? Take a guess. Giving thanks. The Bible has a lot to say about giving thanks because giving thanks is an expression of our worship. What we give thanks to, we worship. Now, that, that's different than me saying, thank you for opening the door. But in a lesser degree, I am indebted to you for opening the door. In a much higher degree, we are indebted to God for everything. And so our expression of thanks and gratitude is worship of God. Creator, sustainer, he is sovereign. When we understand the doctrine of God's sovereignty, it deepens our gratitude for him. Thankful to God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. This scripture, and coincidentally, because Samuel Adams was a a God-fearing man who read his Bible, what he wrote, both name a specific God. It is not a generic uh, deist God. It is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ God. 
It is God our Father, the Creator. It is very important as we Christians go out into the world that as we get into conversations with our neighbors, as we teach our children, as we, as we talk with folks that we work with, that we name our God as Jehovah. That we name our God as the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Making an argument for the sake, uh, making an argument for the existence of a God or a deist kind of theist general God will always fall short. The only logical argument that can be made logically and with Scripture is that God is God, the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we give thanks as we teach our children and talk to our non-believing friends, we must remember that we are giving thanks to God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a second point, as we discuss this with our, with our friends, we can ask them who they are thankful to. We can remind them, we can ask them, hey, who are you thankful to, you're indebted to, who are you indebted to for this? Well, you, they'll discuss and say something. Um, you can always talk about, well, so what is that? What do you owe them for that? What do you owe the universe for that? And how do you know that you owe the universe to the, for that? Um, there, there's some apologetics that get into being thankful that we don't have time to get into today. However, it would be a lot of fun. So we give thanks to, as an expression of our worship, giving thanks to God submits us before him as creatures in need. Thankfulness expresses our need for God. We owe God everything. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, later in this book, says, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Now again, he's talking to Christians, and it's a reminder to us as Christians this holiday season to remember that we boast all the time. We are either boasting in ourselves and what we think we did, or we are boasting in Christ and what he has done and is doing. But what keeps us from giving thanks to God? In short, it's sin. We talk about sin here a lot at New City because it is the root of all problems. We'll get into that here in a minute. But sin keeps us from giving thanks to God because we believe falsely that we are able on our own. We believe falsely that we are able on our own to do anything. I cannot finish the sermon today. We could not have woken up this morning without God's decree, without God saying that it would be so. We believe falsely that we are able on our own. Colossians says, For by him all things were created, indebted to him for that, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. God made invisible things. That's cool. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We all owe him for that. We all owe him thanks for creating things for himself. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What that verse says is that everything exists for the glory of God, and were it not for his word, everything would cease to exist. We exist by the joy of the Lord for our good and for his glory. We are able on our own to do anything. Believing that is a lie. And it is a trajectory that we set ourselves on daily when we forget to give thanks to God. The second reason we forget to give thanks to God, uh, or that we don't give thanks to God, is that we believe we are deserving of God. We believe that we deserve anything from him. I believe that I deserve my tomorrow. I believe that I deserve to finish the sermon because I'm preaching God's word. Why not? Nope. We believe that we deserved or somehow slightly, maybe a little bit, just with one hand, earned salvation. Romans 3 says, 
I told you this is a lot of scripture. Romans 3. I want to convince you that you need God and did not earn him. Okay? So I'm going to read this. Now listen. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Jews and Greeks encompasses us. Those chosen by God in the Old Testament and those chosen by God to have the uh, Jews go to in the Old Testament. So Greeks, that's you and me. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together and they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. None of us deserve Jesus. This can get depressing if it stops there. And that was part of Paul's intent. None of us can be thankful for something that we earned. The only thing that we earned, according to Scripture, what I just read, is the grave. The only thing that we earned is death. There's a, there's a common thing that I hear in preaching a lot, and it just irks me. Um, if, if you were the only person that ever existed, Christ would still have died for you. And that makes my skin crawl. Because that means that you are the reason God exists. That means that you are worth something in what you've done and who you are. We are not. I am not. Literally, there, where to go? All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Not worth Jesus dying on a cross. Worthless. And so the reason I hit this is that we do not deserve our breath. Before we became Christians and, and even after we become Christians, we have not earned it. The only thing we've earned is expulsion from God, is death. If I am able to finish anything I'm saying here, it is a gift of God. Now, this is good news, believe it or not, even though it sounds really depressing. This makes us thankful. If we earned anything from God, what would happen? The dichotomy between creator and creation would shift. And God would owe us. If I earned anything from the Lord, it would be um, death. But because I did not, and He gives me life anyway, what a joy. How much does that speak to who God is? How much does that speak to His plan for our lives? Um, if I were the only person that ever existed, Christ would not have died for me. <laughs> he, he, I, I wouldn't have earned it. Now, what that does not do is tell us that God does not love us. God loves us because He is God. He does not need anything from us. So there, there's two pitfalls. We are to either believe that we are less than nothing or more than something. The joyous middle that is biblical and godly is to believe that God created us for a purpose, we offended Him, rejected Him, and we're not only sinking in the ocean, but swimming down to the bottom. And then he died for us, grabbed us by the heel, and forcibly, against our will, raised us up to new life with him and gives us all good things in Jesus. He gives us life. What a joy. When we understand the depths of our sin, which are worse than we could possibly believe, the depths of our offenses against God, it allows us to be that much more thankful. The, the two are absolutely related. When we believe we are more sinful than we think we are, we can be more thankful than we ever thought we could be. 
And what does that do? That gives God glory. And in the thankfulness, even in the very definition of thankfulness, it gives us relief. Because I don't have to earn my way to God. I'm free as a Christian because Christ did it for me. I don't have to try so hard to earn my way to God. I can just be free. And in that freedom, God gives us something to do. His Holy Spirit is in us and we desire holiness. We desire to do good things. But we're not doing them to earn God's favor. That, that is, I've tried to do that. We all try to do that as Christians. That is exhausting. Thankfulness to God for what He has done and who He is and what He is doing frees us from the trap of legalism, of trying to earn His favor. So, we are thankful to God. First point. Second point. Verses 5 through 7. That in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Thankful to God leads us to thankful for. What are we thankful for? Yes, we are thankful for stuff. And sitting around the Thanksgiving table, that probably, uh, even my own self, that, the, the, that's probably the first thing that comes to mind. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful for our chickens most of the time. I'm not really thankful for the cat, but I'm thankful that my wife and kids love the cat. Um, we become first thankful for stuff. But if we miss this, if we miss the order of progression of thankfulness, we'll end up, again, being thankful to the universe or thankful to ourselves instead of thankful to God. So, our first inclination is to be thankful for stuff. But what Christ tells us is we need to first be thankful for Him and who He is and what He has done. And then, in understanding that, we can be thankful rightly for our stuff and enjoy it. Now, I have come over, uh, up, uh, I have developed the conviction over the past several years that Christmas is a holiday, a holy day. This Christmas season is about stuff. I have this conviction, and this is a bit of a rabbit trail, but we'll bring it back. Christmas is about stuff because Christ became stuff for us. Jesus could have shown up as an adult. Jesus could have shown up in his godly, heavenly form, yet he did not. At Christmas, he became a baby. And actually, nine months before Christmas, if I'm going to be accurate. Because that's actually important. He could have just come and, and, and dwelt that little um, baby inside of Mary like a couple days before she was given birth. But what we see in Scripture is that Jesus became Jesus at the moment of conception. The Holy Spirit indwelled or made Jesus in Mary. Put Jesus, not made. Ooh, that's a heresy. Sorry. The Holy, Je- the Holy Spirit put Jesus in Mary at the moment of conception. And so he became stuff for us. And so logically, the celebration of what God, God just did of becoming flesh is a celebration and acknowledgement of stuff. So be free. Buy stuff. Enjoy stuff. Enjoy garland. Enjoy pie. Enjoy a little bit of wine. Enjoy things that God has made for us and given us to enjoy Him. But as we do that, we're really good at sinning with stuff. And so so be careful not to sin. But sinning with stuff is just as much a sin as pushing away and rejecting stuff. We, again, have to come to the godly, joyful middle where we acknowledge that God has given us stuff, we enjoy it, and we use it to His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. So, be thankful for your stuff, because God became stuff for us. So, we're thankful for that. And then in the text it says, The grace of God was given us in Christ Jesus, 
working in each other. Paul is thankful for the work that God is doing in his friends, in the church he planted, in the Corinthian church. And most of all, he is thankful for their salvation. For the gospel preached to them once, for their once repentance, and for their continuing repentance. For their once being saved and in following Jesus, in being sanctified. So he's thankful for the work that God has done through the gospel in the Corinthians. Why is he thankful for this? Why does he not just step over this? It's because all problems are sin problems. He goes on to address some of the problems that the Corinthian church has. And he talks about them in in terms of biblical terms. He doesn't talk about them in terms of mistakes or little oopsies or just not shouldn't have done that. Man, my bad. He talks about them in, in godly terms, in terms of sin What pleases the Lord and what does not please the Lord. What helps flourish us in this world and what hinders that and brings us pain and death. So he talks about this and he says that all problems are sin problems. And if that is the case, if all problems are sin problems, be it shootings, be it the government, what kind of (laughs) politics, politics are sin problems. What kind of Thanksgiving sermon would it be if we didn't talk about politics? Um, that's it right there, though. But so all problems, political problems, uh, shootings, mass shootings, small shootings, theft, sexual abuse in Hollywood and the rest of the world. All these problems are sin problems at their core and taken all the way through. And if sin is the problem, Jesus is the answer. If sin is not the problem, then Jesus is not the answer. We have to acknowledge as a Christian church, as Christian people, that everything we see broken in the world, from the smallest twig to the biggest uh, thing, is a sin problem at its core. And Jesus can address those things. If Jesus has nothing to say about those problems, then they're not, then he's not God. He's not Lord over all those things. If Jesus doesn't have thoughts on politics, sexual harassment, shootings, If Jesus doesn't have thoughts on that, then he's not Lord over those things. And then he's not God. But thankfully, he is. Thankfully, he does have thoughts on things. And I'm going to go through and give you my opinion on his thoughts on all those things. Politics, all that stuff. Bad joke. Okay. Um, So, how does God work? What are we to be thankful for? First of all, salvation. Aside from everything else, we are to be thankful for salvation. Because in that... In God working covenantally through time to save us, bring us to himself, we can enjoy pumpkin pie better. I can enjoy my child's face when I buy him that Paw Patrol thing. Asa, don't listen. We got it. You're going to love it. Um, We can enjoy stuff more because we're thankful for salvation. Now, we're thankful, and, and what does Paul say happens as the believers do this? That they are enriched in him. We are thankful to God always for what He has done and that in every way you were enriched in Him. The word enriched is a Greek word, plutsio. Um, It means to make rich, to enrich, to bestow richly. I want you to think of the word enriched as an abundance to our needs. God knows what we need. God knows what we need. And in Him, we can enjoy the abundance of those needs being filled in Jesus. Part of that starts with us being thankful to Him for who He is and what He's doing and what He's done. And in that, we are sanctified. In that, the Holy Spirit working through the gospel teaches us how to speak and what to think. 
He says it, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge. We are to speak about Christ. The first Corinthian church, when they met the Lord, when they were raised from dead and made Christians, they spoke about Christ. And Paul is thankful for that. Now, in that, they don't speak like people who don't know what they're saying. They don't speak in chants. They don't speak idiotically. They spoke logically because it says in speech and knowledge. So they spoke with what they understood and learned about Christ. They were enriched to talk about Jesus and tell other people about him. And in that, they spoke truth and understood the truth of who Christ was. Being enriched to talk and be on mission to non-believers and other believers. They talk about the testimony of Christ. They talk about Jesus and his gospel. When Jesus saves us, he sends us on a mission. When Jesus saves us, he gives us something to do here on earth. Which is another reason why stuff matters. Because God has us here. If stuff didn't matter, if presents didn't mean anything, if turkey was just turkey and we couldn't enjoy it with mashed potatoes and extra gravy, If that didn't mean anything, God would just have whisked us away in some kind of spiritual netherland. But he didn't. He saved us and gave us a mission down here on earth. And that mission is to tell other people with our knowledgeable words about Christ. So, knowledge. Why does he say knowledge? Well, because we immediately, especially here in America, we want to feel Christ. Yet, that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says, uh, in Ephesians, Paul is calling him out. He says, this is not, the way you're acting is not the way you learned Christ. He doesn't say, the way you're acting is the way you fell in in love with Jesus. He doesn't say, the way you're acting is different than the way you felt the Lord. We become Christians and are sustained as Christians because of our knowledge of Him, our understanding of Him, because He has given us life. And in that, we are not to become dumber. He makes us more knowledgeable about Him. We don't empty ourselves and are filled with chance. We don't empty ourselves and are filled with drugs that make us feel things. We don't go to seven-hour worship uh, nights just to feel Christ. Our worship of God is based in our understanding of who He is, what He has done, and what He is doing. And this, like Paul just said here, enriches us. It gives us what we need. It fills our abundance of what it means to be a human in our day-to-day mundane jobs, in our really tough times in parenting, in our joyous feasts with family. It gives us hope in our understanding of who Christ is. Because if it was just about how I felt, then that bad turkey would have changed my entire faith. And it, there wasn't a bad turkey. If my, you know, Lauren, it was a great turkey. But if, if I eat something and it changes the way I feel, then all of a sudden my whole faith is gone. If I believe that my faith is based on how I feel. We become people whisked away by the world, by believing silly things that are myths and lies, by being deceived by deceitful things. But what we need to believe is that Christ does not want you to feel Him. He wants you to know Him. And in knowing Him, knowing who He is, what He's done, and I've repeated this a thousand times, what He is doing, we will eventually feel Him in all areas of life. There's an illustration. Some of you know this. It's the train illustration. And the the feelings follow facts is the point of this illustration. Feelings are the caboose. They're just as valuable as the coal car or the lead engine. But feelings are the caboose. Then faith is the coal. God gives us faith 
to fuel not our feelings. God gives us faith to fuel what is true about the world. Because again, remember, he's Lord over everything. Every problem, every government, every personal problem, every world problem. Jesus is Lord over all those things. And so he wants us to know what about, is true about those things. And in that faith that he gives us to believe what is true, our feelings do come along. Our feelings will change about that. But if we believe that God wants us to focus on how we feel, and in that we feel Him, and in that we do things to make ourselves feel things about God, we are missing the mark completely. And I'm just becoming God, instead of letting God become God. Does that make sense? Faith fuels the facts, and the feelings will follow. The next part, the last part, thankful doing. We are thankful to God, and then we are thankful for what God has done, And now we are thankfully doing things. Scripture says, As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, we are to be thankful to God and do what? Just feast all the time? I mean, that would be good. I would love that. Um, I would be much larger and probably die quicker. Um, But thankfully, we do not have just to feast all the time. We wait. That's what he says here. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you advent for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you're eagerly anticipating Jesus coming back. This is the crux. If Jesus did not uh, ascend to heaven and, and promise to come back, then we're just wasting our time. Like Paul says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. If, if Jesus did not promise to come back, we are lost in this world. But we have a hope that he is reigning now on his throne in heaven, and God is putting his enemies under his feet. I just jumped my notes. He is putting Jesus' enemies under his feet, both the enemies of, in my heart and the enemies in this world, sin, Satan, and death. As we look forward to Jesus coming back, and it'll be as real as this pulpit, as real as this bread, as real as a Christmas tree, Jesus will come back physically, and we will see him face to face because he's eradicated our sin. He does that. As we wait for that, he sustains us. We do not have to sustain ourselves. The best way I can think of this is, is I don't have to try to be a Christian in 20 years. I used to worry, man, Andy, are you going to... Are you going to be a Christian when you die? Are you going to make it to the end of your life as a Christian? And then in reading scripture, we see we don't have to worry about who we're going to be in 20 years. We need to focus on who God is making us now. It is not my job to secure my eternity. Christ did that. I live in it now. He sustains us. Think of this like a marriage. A young married couple, myself, wanted to be 20 years married and have the maturity of being 20 years married. It just doesn't work that way. I get to be one year married. And then I get to be two years married. And that's the same thing with Christianity. God will sustain us. If you've, if you've decided to follow Jesus, He will sustain you. Um, not because you've decided to, but because He has decided to. So God sustains us as we repent of our sin and believe the gospel now as we wait for Him coming back. And now in His sustaining us, He sustains us guiltless. In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do me a favor. Go into the Old Testament and look at the law. Look at what it was required to earn peace with God. It was it, to become guiltless. Um, it, it, it is insane. It is such a high calling to be guiltless of your sin. 
Um, and none of us can be there. None of us can get that. Thankfully, Christ has made us guiltless in his living a guiltless life. Sacrificed himself for us. And then given us that guilt-free life. The Bible calls it righteousness. Um, he's given us his right standing with God. And will sustain that right standing until the end. Why does that matter? Why am I hitting this? Because we sin. Because we forget. Because of all of us, when we, when we do the confession and repentance um, and we read that up here every week, I am consistently reminded of sin that I still need to repent of. I am consistently given hope that there is sin to be repented of that Jesus died for and wants me to be free from. When we sin, we can be reminded that God will sustain us until the end guiltless, regardless of our sin. Now, that doesn't diminish the, um, the, the seriousness of sin. But it, what it does do is give us hope in that, that we may be free from it, that we may repent and remain guiltless. And then we remain guiltless until the day. Uh, Paul and, and all the New Testament writers talk about the day, the day of judgment, the day that Christ comes back into this world physically. He raises up the dead, we greet him in the air, and then we watch him as he rules Having made the world um, perfect, having gotten rid of his enemies under his feet, he rules perfectly. Colossians says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then Psalm says, As Christ is seated at the right hand of God, the Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. God the Father says to Christ Jesus, Sit here, I'm going to put your enemies under your feet. You may use them um, as a footstool. You, I will defeat your enemies through the Holy Spirit in the world. And then one day there will be no more enemies. Christ is sitting there reigning on this throne. He does this in our hearts as we repent and believe continually in community. Helping one another, encouraging one another, reminding one another of our need for Christ. He does this in other people. This means we disciple our kids. This means we talk to people about Jesus, the hard conversations where maybe we got backed into a corner and we were wrong apologetically. I've been wrong more times than I've been right out on the streets. It's not a bad thing. What we need to be encouraged by is that God is working through that, putting his enemies under his feet. And Christ gets rid of his enemies by two ways. He either converts them or he brings them to conclusion. He either ends them as enemies or he converts them and makes them friends. That's a joyful thing for us. We can take joy in that because then we can go out into the world and know that we're fishing for fish that are want, that will be caught. We can go out and tell people about Jesus because we know that there will be more people that will know Jesus because the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Christ wins. He does this in our hearts. He does this in other people. And he does this in the world. Why do I say in the world? Because when Christians are converted and start to follow Jesus... We gather then together as churches and in communities and outside of Sunday. And what do we create when we gather? We create a Christian culture. Not a Christian ghetto. Not a Christian place where we only talk Bible verses to each other and we put things on our cars and it all is a coffee cup Christianity. That's, that's weird. We, 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 kinda, we want to reject that. Because Christians are to be on mission. But naturally when Christians hang out together, what happens? We create Christian culture. And in that, God is preaching to the world about His glory, about what is good, true, and beautiful. And in that, they see the gospel and they can find hope because we're also speaking to them with knowledgeable words about Christ. 
So, we are thankful to God, to God. We are thankful for what he's doing and what he's done. And then we are thankfully waiting and working. Now, in summary, as we celebrate the once came and once again coming of Jesus, our King, enjoy the feasting thankfully. Enjoy giving gifts to one another, not because you're trying to earn their friendship, but because you want them to have joy and know Jesus. Enjoy time with your family. Enjoy learning about the history of Christmas. Um, we, I just started doing this. I literally bought a book about Santa Claus on Thanksgiving, and it's really cool. Um, but we can learn about the history of Christmas and why in the Old Testament God gives us feast days. And in the New Testament, we can enjoy those feast days to their fullest extent. Um, learn about why we have lights on our trees. I'll tell you, Martin Luther, the great reformer, is the first one to put lights on a Christmas tree. His were wax and had a fire and burned things down when the cat sneezed. But at the same time, we can look at our Christmas trees that are much safer and enjoy them because Martin Luther said, Jesus is the light of the world. And he brings life and light. And God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So this pagan Christmas tree, we're going to make it about Jesus. Because if this was a pagan holiday, I also was a pagan once. And God made me a Christian. So why should I not go out and make pagan things Christians too? Christian too? We enjoy things to the glory of God. The, the, the garland. Garland, I, garland was created, was, was brought into the Christian tradition because there was a preacher who went to preach the people that worship Thor. And there was Thor's oak, which where they would gather around. And this is in Europe, like Scandinavia area. They would gather around this, this giant oak tree and worship Thor. This preacher went in with an axe and cut it down in the middle of their worship service. He cut the tree down, and they were just waiting on Thor to kill him. Obviously, Thor did not kill him, right? Because he's just some weird thing, not even real. But Christ is real. They saw him cut down their thing that they worshipped, and they were converted. He preached to them Christ. They were converted. He started cutting off branches and giving them to them to go home and remember what Christ had done for him, for them. And they went home and they celebrated a new holiday. They celebrated Christmas with garland. So, that I could go on. Those are, it's just fun for me. History. So learn some history. Teach it to your kids. Bring it up in discussion with your non-believing friends. Be thankful to God. Be thankful for Him, for stuff. And wait, working towards His kingdom. We're going to pray here in a minute and we'll take communion. And if you are a believer, I would invite you to take communion with us. You may enjoy the body which was broken on our behalf, and you may enjoy the wine or juice which was spilt so that ours does not have to be. Let's pray. Father God, more than anything, we are thankful. If there's one thing that, that I desire that, 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 it is, that is not as much as I should desire, it's that I be someone who is thankful. Father, make us more thankful for you, for what you've done and who you are, and just how you're working in the world. We know that, that throughout all of our lives there is struggle, there's suffering, there's pain, there's confusion. Uh, we do not have all the answers now, uh, but we know you do. And we know that as we repent of our sin and believe in hope, believe in the gospel, um, you will put the enemies in my heart and the enemies in the world under your feet. May we, may we worship you this Christmas season as we wait for you to come back. And Jesus, please, please come back quickly. Amen.